I don't know if you've ever tried this before, but have you ever put your, your own name in a Google search and see what turns up? I did that this week, and I put in, first of all, I put in William Walker, 3 million results in 0.29 seconds. That's a lot of information. I found out that there are quite a few William Walkers around here. In fact, in the New New Jersey, New York area, there are 692 people named William Walker. And then I put in Lance Walker. There are 522 Lance Walkers. I mean, was it not enough to have one? I mean... 522. Nobody needs that many, right? Um, I also looked in there and it came up with the results of all my addresses since I've lived here. All the times I've changed, all of those are in there. I did not put them in there. My cell phone number was in there. Thank you very little. Facebook page, which I hardly ever knew. That was all, you could find that. It had, all, it had stuff about my sisters. Crazy. It had a picture of Lance, a little scary, but it was in there. Um, They had stuff about my sermons. They had pictures of me when I had hair. (laughs) And my hair had color, so you know how old those pictures really are. And then, can you believe this? There was a William Lance Walker, numerous ones, and there were obituaries for them in there. That was a little weird. Um, You put a Google search in. And I found out this, Google can search me, but it doesn't know me. Um, There are two types of knowledge. There is factual knowledge, and there is relational knowledge. Now, factual knowledge is things that they know about you, right? Whereas relational knowledge is knowing you personally. So factual knowledge is know what you are. Relational knowledge is know who you are. And it makes you, it can at least, make you a little uneasy to think that Google search publicly for everybody out there can know a lot of things about you that you didn't realize. And if that makes you a little uneasy when you go put your name in a Google search, I thought this this week, this text in mind, What about a God search? What about putting your name, can I say it this way, in God's search engine? Put your name in God's search engine, if you could, and you know what would turn up about you? Hear me. Everything. 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 You know why? And it would be less than, way less than 2.29 seconds. Way less. Every single thing about you. Because God has searched you and knows you instantly, completely. He can do that and does that every single moment. You know what's interesting about Psalm 139? Look at the text with me. It begins and ends with the same little phrase. Search and know. See, there are, that's how this text, is, that's what this text is all about. And that's God's search engine. See, the first one is God searching David. And it says this, that God's search engine is not limited in any way. It it doesn't just have public information about you in the God search 
It has all the private results as well. See, God search doesn't just have factual knowledge about you. If God searches you, it's not just, hey, I know your cell phone. I know your address. I know who your siblings are. I know your full name. I know where you work. It's not just that. God has relational knowledge about you, all relational knowledge about you. So when God searches you, he knows you, and he knows about you. He knows you personally. He doesn't just know what you are. He knows who you are. And I mean really knows who you are. How do you think that made David feel? How does it make you feel? A little uneasy? For honest, maybe at times a lot uneasy. You see, this is how the psalm is set up. The bracket, the first one is, the first search was of David by God was initiated by God. He says, God, you have searched me. I didn't ask for it, but you have. But then by the end of the psalm, same phrase, search and know. Here's what David says, God, search me. I'm asking for it. Now see, that's... Perhaps not where you are. You might say, hey, I can't do anything about God searching and knowing me. But for me to ask him to do it, say, God, take a look at all my life and everything about me, that's hard for us to imagine doing, isn't it? Here's why. Now listen, listen to these two parallel statements. There is only one word different than in each, to, in each one of them, but it makes all the difference in the world. Listen, we want to be known because we want to be loved. We don't want to be known because we want to be loved. You see the difference in the two? We all know this. The only way, the only way to be loved is to be known. But we also know this. If we are known, we may not be loved. So you know what? We're afraid of it. You're afraid of it. I'm afraid at times. We're afraid to be known. You know why? Because we want to be loved. And being known might mean that we are not loved. So the only thing that we put on Facebook and on Instagram or other places like that, you know what? We put on social media. You know what we put on there? Just mainly factual knowledge about ourselves. We tell people the facts. And we usually tell them the facts framed in a way that we want them to put on there, whether they're really accurate all the time or not. At best, most people put partial relational knowledge on them. You know why? Because they want to have an appearance to have their life look really way better than it is. Because if everybody knew what their life was really about, they may not like them. They may not love them. They may not want to look at your Facebook or whatever it is. And there are people, and perhaps you this morning, you never really let people get too close. You don't really let them in your life too far. Because you'd say, Pastor Walker, I've done that. I tried to open up and be transparent. It's the thing today, isn't it? And I I tried to be known like that, and it ruined everything. Because when people really found out who I was and what I was really like and what I was all about, it didn't go well. And so you know what we share on social media? The great trips that we take. But rarely do you see anybody share the great tragedies. All the victories that we've experienced, very few times do we put the losses that are a result of our own failures 
See, we write our public stories and we write them in such a way that everybody thinks that our life is one of those happily ever after ending kind of stories where truthfully our private lives are anything but happy. You see, God's search and knowledge of you this morning is either your greatest comfort or your greatest fear. So I want to tell you this morning, how did David do it? How did David, how was he okay with God searching him? And I would tell you this, because David searched God. That's how he became okay with it. And David searches God and three of the most important things about God and his attributes. And that's what David does. And I want to take you and walk you through each one of them today. And you might be here, Pastor Walker. Listen, it's frightening for me to think that God knows me in this kind of intricate detail. I want to take you from the first search me to the last search me in this text. And as you walk through it, I hope that your view as David was is changed about that whole thing. So let's look at all three of them. The first one in verses 2 through 6, David searches God's omniscience. All of these three attributes, omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence, that's what we're going to look at. God first knows everything. That's what omniscience is. See, David searches God, and that helps him to understand and change his view of God searching him. So you can see it yourself. He says, God, here's what you do when you search me. Here's what I'm learning about you. When I search out you, here's what I know. And all of them are prefaced with a little pronoun you. Look at verse 2, verses 3 and 4. God, you know when, I put it this way, you know when, you know why, you know where, you know what about me. You know all those things about me. And he puts it in very obvious language for us in Psalm 139, verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. God, you know when I'm sitting down and when I get up in the morning and when I'm stopping at night and my day is over. God, you know and you discern my thoughts from afar off. You know the beginning of my day and you know the ending of my day. God, you know any time in that day exactly what I'm thinking even in church this morning right now. God knows your thoughts. He knows everything about you, the Bible says. You search out my path and my lying down. God, when I'm walking through the day and the direction I'm taking and my lifestyle and what's about it, see, when, even when I go to bed and I'm asleep at night, see, the search, God's search never turns off. See, I turn off. God never does. He says, you're acquainted with all my ways, every single thing about me. Even before a word is on my tongue. Listen, he doesn't just know your words. He knows them before you speak them. That will blow your mind. He says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold. See, it blows his mind too. Behold. Oh, Lord, you know it all together. He knows your words, why you speak them, the words you use, what you intended. He knows everything about them. So he knows the beginning and the end of the day. He knows what's happening on the inside of you, your thoughts. He knows what's happening on the outside of you in your words and the ways and your lifestyle and all that you're doing. Beginning, ending, inside, outside. He says, God, you have him, me in. You have gone behind me and before me. And the Hebrew word for hemmed in is to lay siege on a city. It's a huge army surrounding the city so that no matter what side of the the walls that you're on, 
The enemy is there. God says, see, that's what I've done for you. You can't go anywhere. You can't have anywhere in your life. See, he goes, I know. I know all about you. I know your thoughts, your actions, your words. See, he doesn't just know you factually. He knows you better than yourself. My wife and I have been married for 35 years. Yes, I looked that up because I wasn't publicly going to make a mistake. <laughs> and if you ever, listen, after 35 years of marriage, they say that you become very much alike. They say sometimes you even begin to look alike. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but you know what I've noticed? Not the look alike part. Um, you know what I've noticed? That sometimes they, can, they know exactly what my wife knows what I'm thinking. I was the other day, I was trying to think of something I was going to say, and I really hadn't even started the sentence. My, and my wife said the whole sentence. I go, do, 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 do. That was a little scary. But she, I didn't even get the word out of my mouth yet, and she knew it. See, after 35 years, you know what your spouse is thinking. You know the words coming out. And I've often said, Chris will verify, right? I've said words and put things together. They didn't make any sense. They weren't the right words or sentence. And I go, and I try to explain myself, and she goes on. She doesn't need the explanation. She knows all my weirdness. Right? Can I tell you, is after 35 years, that's amazing. But let me tell you, that's nothing compared to how God knows you. A way, way, way beyond that. Let me ask you, God's going to send, let me say this, let's pretend that God's going to send it, you an email. And he's going to send you an email. Let's say he sent it this morning. And in that email, it's going to be all that you are the last 24 hours. Just 24 hours, not days or weeks, 24 hours. That email is going to have a list of all of your thoughts and words and actions before you came to church in the last 24 hours before. It's going to have your petty thoughts, your selfish thoughts, your lustful thoughts, your angry thoughts. It's going to have your harsh words, your cuss words, your name-calling, your under-your-breath words you didn't say because you didn't want them to hear you. It's going to have all the things that you watched on TV, on the internet, the movies you watch, and the channels you turn to, and the history of your internet, and where you went on the internet, and the music you listened to, and the books you read. And it's going to have a list of all the things you should have said, and should have thought, and should have did that you never did. All of those are listed. And he puts it on a video, and we're going to show it on the screen this morning. Now what? Now, right? That doesn't bother you, right? It's only the last 24 hours. I'm not talking 24 days. 24 hours, that's it. Everybody okay with that, right? No, we wouldn't. You know why? Because if we want to be loved, we have to be known. But if we were known, would we be loved? See, the only way that can happen is to know, God says, listen to what he says, to be fully known, searched, David says, I should say, is this, it blows my mind. It's too wonderful for me. Look at verse 6. He says, listen, God knows me like that, and here's his response. That knowledge, the knowledge that God, I'm searching God out, and see, I know him. I know what he knows about me, and it's too wonderful for me. And it sounds awesome, because wonderful to us usually means, woo, wonderful. In the Hebrew, it has a range of meanings, surpassingness, extraordinary, but it also is used multiple times 
in a context to mean it's hard or difficult, we would say overwhelming. And here's what the Lance Walker translates. I say, such knowledge overwhelms me. When I think of how God, how he really knows, I mean knows me, it overwhelms me. And the next word it says, it's high. And it, it means to be beyond me. God, I can't grasp it. I'm not sure I want to grasp it. And he says in the verse, if you look at it, I can't attain to it, and that means I can't endure it. It's hard for me to want to think about the fact that you know me like that because I know how that usually ends. That's why I think, ready for this amazing, astute observation, why verse 7 follows verse 6. Here's what he says. Where shall I go from your spirit where will I flee from your presence? You know what? When you come to the realization and you really think about it and you let it blow your mind and overwhelm you a bit, when God knows you like that, you know what you think? Maybe I should try to get out of that. Maybe I should try to get away from that. And he says, I should flee from your presence. God, you know what? When I think about that and all that you know about me, it makes me at times want to run. Because Adam and Eve did that. I mean, they took the fruit. He said, don't take it. And they said, I got to run from God. We have to hide from God. Why? Because I don't want him to know and see all the shame of my disobedience. I don't want to see that. So you know what they do? We run from God. We hide from God. And then we make our own fig leaves. Why? Because I'm going to cover it up. I just don't want you to see. I don't want Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve I don't want my life on the screen. And the, and the thought that God knows about it, Jonah says, God, listen, I know you know. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't want to give them the gospel. I don't want to do what you say. And I'm angry about it. So you know what he does? He runs. He runs. As a rebel, he runs. He tries to get away from God's presence. And in the Hebrew, the word presence always is the word panim, which means face. He doesn't want God looking at him. Adam Adam and Eve didn't want to see God's face. Peter is on the shore in one of his first encounters with Jesus, and he hasn't caught anything all night. He's tired. This professional guy who supposedly has it all together about fishing, he didn't catch anything. And so Jesus says, hey, go over there and cast your net on the other side of the boat. What? We've done that already. We've done it all night. Are you kidding me? Well, okay, at your word, Lord, have you ever said that? Okay, if you say so, and you know, you sarcastically. He goes over there, and he can't even get the fish. The net is so heavy, it's starting to break. His response is this, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. You know what Peter realized? Listen, if you know where the fish are, and you know all about the fish... That means you know all about me. You know what I think, Lord? If that's true, please get away from me. I can't handle it. It overruns my circuits. See, I can't. And see, uh, Peter says, oh, Lord. It's emotional. Look at our psalm. Verse 1, oh, Lord. Verse 4, oh, Lord. Verse 21, oh, Lord. Verse 17, oh, God. Verse 19, oh, God. Verse 23, oh, God. Let me tell you this. It's emotional, isn't it? It is blows you if your feelings why to think that god knows all about you i mean the details the things that you've forgotten he hasn't 
So David says, you know what, maybe the best thing I could try to do is get away from it. And so in the Psalm, verses 8 and 9, he runs in all directions. It says, if I make my take the wings of the morning and go up north to heaven. If I go to Sheol, the place of the dead, and I go down, see, maybe if I went here, maybe if I went here. Then he says, if I take the wings of the morning and I go to the east where the sun rises and the uttermost part of the sea where the sun sets, that's how they looked at it. See, up here, down here, there, there. He goes, if I could run anywhere, he says, here's his standing response every time. Listen, ready? You are there. Oh, yeah, I'll go. You are there. You are there. And then he says, if I even do this, Sheol, if I go down to the dead, he goes, even there, God, I can't get away from you. You are inescapable. That's who you are. Nighttime, daytime, they're alike to you. Darkness, light, there's no difference to God. And it's overwhelming him until, until he begins to see something about these omni-attributes of God. See, at first, he looks at them as some abstract doctrine, and he looks at them as some sort of transcended attributes. Oh, God knows everything, and it seems like it's just abstract, right? And he says, oh, you know, God, he's everywhere. Isn't that great? And, and no, it's not. And he thinks of it as abstract, and then he begins to put it together in his mind, See, he's searching the God who has searched him. He's trying to know the God who really knows him. And you know what he starts talking about? Listen, verse 5. See, God, you laid, listen, your hand upon me. Verse 10. Even there your hand will lead me. See, I'll never get lost because... Your hand is there. See, God, your transcendent knowledge and your everywhere present kind of reality, it's not just this thing that you know all the bad stuff about me. God, you know everything. You know that I need your guidance. Your hand is so personal that you can reach, listen, you can touch me. You can lead me, he says. Your right hand, not just your hand, right hand, the right hand, the one of your authority and power with all of your strength. Here's what he says, God, you're, it holds me. So when I feel like I'm going to fall, when I can't go on, God, see, you're right there to pick me up. See how close he is? It's not just transcendent attributes. They're imminent ones. He's up close. God, your hand is so close, he says in verse 13, that you formed me. You weaved me. It's like an integral twine thing. See, God, you are so close that your personal hands formed me when I was in my mother's womb, before I was ever born. See, everything about me, God, your hand has been there. And when God's presence is there, it includes his hand. And then it says, your eyes in verse 16. You see, you see me, and then it includes God's book because you wrote every member. See, I was made this way exactly, and so were you. And see, David says, wow, wow. I thought God's omni-attributes were things I wouldn't like, and they scare me a little bit, but let me tell you this. I found this. Have you? The God who searches me and knows me is the same God who leads me and holds me. The God who knows the darkness that is all around me is the same God who knows the darkness that is within me. And here's what the truth is that changed David, and I hope will help change you this morning, is that knowing all that, he's still with me. He's still with me, and he still loves me. 
See, David searches and knows God's omniscience, and he searches and knows God's omnipresence. And lastly, he searches and knows God's omnipotence, verses 13 through 16. You know that word wonderful that meant surpassing and kind of blows his mind? Well, he uses that same word two more times in verse 14, but this time it's different. Knowing God knows all about him and has searched him and is everywhere and has all this power, instead of overwhelming him in a negative way, now he says, look at verse 14. Now he's going to use wonderful differently. Now he says, God, I praise you for it. See, he's turned the corner. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God, see, I know you're with me. I know your hand is on me. And it, it's, it's, you made me wonderful. He says, notice verse 14, wonderful, that's the, second, that's the third use, wonderful are your words. God, I see how great it is. Now I see how great it is that you know me like that. God, I know that your presence is with me. God, I know you have all power because it's that power that made me. Wonderful are your works. Now what made the difference? Listen, look at the end of verse 14. Here's why. Because now he's come to the place where as God knew him, Now he knows God. My soul, he says, the very core and essence of me knows this very well. See, God, when I first had you search me and know me, but I had not done searching and knowing you, it scared me. But the more I found out about you, about what it means for God to be, to know me, it has changed me. It was said of Abraham. Here's what God said of Abraham. For I have known him. Moses, God said this of him. I know him by name. Of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, God told him this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Every great person in the Bible, every great leader, every great man that God ever used, God knew them. And they took great comfort in it because it changed their lives. It changed David's view when he found out and really understood what it meant to be known by God. And so he expresses it to us. He wants you to know that it's just not changed his mind. It's changed everything. Look at verse 17. Two little words, how. How precious to me are your thoughts. It's emotional about it. Oh, God. Precious is the word that always describes in the Old Testament things of great value. It's used to describe diamonds. It's used to describe gold and silver and various treasures. Here's what David's saying. God, I used to shun. I didn't want to think about or contemplate the thoughts you had, that you know me, that you know everything about me. I mean, you know me better than myself, and it used to frighten me, but now it delights me. God, I value it. God, I delight. It's precious to me. How precious? Look what he says. How vast. And that word vast means to count something. And he's going to tell you, he's going to repeat the same. It's a Hebrew parallelism. How vast is it? Well, let me show you how vast it is. You know how awesome it is? If I try to count how valuable and how many thoughts God has of me, that used to scare me, that God's always thinking about me and knowing me. He goes, now, you know what? If I had those thoughts and I'd count them, they'd be more than the sand. That little phrase talks about Israel, how big they are, how God is, and how great he is. It means innumerable. God, you think about me all the time. Listen, 
and I absolutely love it. You know what that means? He's not afraid of being rejected by God anymore. See, the omnis of God, omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent, they mean everything to him. He says to us this morning, because you have a God who really knows who you are, and God who is always with you, and a God who is so close to you that his hand reaches out and touches you, and you have a God who's so close and so personal and so knowledgeable about you, he will never let you go. In verse 18, even if you die, he'll still be with you. Have you ever thought how awesome it would be to have someone who fully knows you and still fully loves you? You do. If you know God through Jesus Christ, you do. He is gone. David has gone from seeing God and all of his omni attributes as something threatening to something comforting. How? He searched God and realizes now why God searches him. David now, verses 19 through 22, he can face his enemies. He can have a right attitude toward them. He can know that God's going to handle them. Why? Because God's with him. See, he can now, verse 23 and 24, as he closes, he can say, God, you, you, you search me and you know me and it frightened me. Listen, but now, God, I'm asking you to do it. God, I want you in my life like that. God, I want you to know everything about me. I want you to see everything. I want you to understand everything because, God, you looked at the bottom all the way to the bottom of my life and you know everything, all my failures, all my sins. You looked at all of it. You know it all and you still love me. Have you ever thought this morning, and maybe you have, as a Christian, as a believer, God, I've really, really messed it up. I messed up this relationship, and I messed up with my kids, and I messed up my job, and I've, the personal traits and the things I've been addicted to and the problems I've been... You know what, God? I've really messed it up. Is it possible that you could look at all that and know all of that about me and still love me? Could you still use me? I'll let Peter answer that question. The end of John's gospel in chapter 21, there's a beautiful little vignette, a little story. You know, Peter started off his relationship, as we've already said, with Jesus, not believing that there would be fish on the other side of the boat. So he doesn't believe, and he's totally astounded by Jesus and his knowledge and his power and immediately ashamed of himself. And that was just the start, so. Later on, he grabs Jesus by the shoulders, basically, and says, God, you're never, Jesus, you're never going to go to the cross. And here's what Jesus has to call Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Not one of his brightest days. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane at Jesus' greatest hour of need. He asks his three closest disciples, including Peter, Peter, James, would you sit here? Would you pray? He comes back a little while later, and they're sleeping. Peter was asleep when Jesus needed him the most. Now, that's nothing compared to the fact that before that event, Peter was telling Jesus, Jesus, hey, I don't know about all these other guys. They may be scandalized by you, 
But when it comes time to it, God, listen, Jesus, I'll follow you to prison and to death. I mean, he couldn't even follow him long enough to stay awake. So this little girl at the fire three different times, back to back. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Three times in a row. You put all that together. Jesus died on the cross, and he's raised. And here's Peter's thought. I'm going to go back to fishing. There is no possible way that if Jesus knew all of it, if he searches me and knows me, he knows all. Look at my resume. (laughs) It's a mess. There's no way he could still love me. He probably doesn't even believe that I love him. And on top of that, even if he did, he'll never want to use me. So Jesus, after the resurrection, has this little meal on the shore, and he's cooking breakfast, and there's a little fire. And Peter sees it. John uh, John tells it's Peter, Peter, it's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat. He doesn't even get fully dressed. He runs to the shore, and Jesus, and they have this conversation. And you know how it goes based on the three denials. And Jesus asked him three different times with three different ways, Peter, do you love me? Wow, that hurt. Jesus asked you this morning, do you love me? And and listen, you know what the third one is? This is why I'm telling you the story. The third time it says Peter was grieved by it. And here's what he says to Jesus. Listen to this. Lord, you know all things. You know, I know you're omniscient. I know about you. You know all things. And then he says, Lord, you know I love you. Aren't you glad that Jesus looks at your life? He searches and knows you. He looks to the bottom of you. He looks at all your failures, all your mistakes, all your denials, all the things that you've really messed up. And here's what he says, Peter, I know You're right. I know it all. I do. I still love you. Listen, Jesus says to him, follow me. Let's start over. See, he still says, I've got room for you. I want to use you. I I know all about you, top to bottom. I love you. Follow me and I'll use you. Does that change your mind? Does that make you see how God searches and knows you a little differently? He doesn't search and know you to find all the things he can on you so he can pin you with it. He wants to take it and still use you as you repent and ask forgiveness and you come back to him. He says, I still love you. Let's start over. Let's pray. every head bowed and every eye closed with no one looking around. What a beautiful psalm. Wouldn't it be great to get to the place where you were totally comfortable with God searching and knowing you? So much so that you could invite him into your life and say, God, now I want you to search me and know me. Because I know what it means now to be known by God. I know it means this. I'm not perfect. I'm not sinless. He knows all about it. I'm not downplaying that or minimalizing it. I'm not just sweeping it under the carpet because you've got to deal with it. But he still loves me. 
He'll still take me back. And they don't want to use me. See, if that's you this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and say, God, I want to search and know God like that. I love to be reinstated. I love to come home. I love to know Jesus like Peter did. Would you pray for me, Pastor Walker? With no one looking around, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Please pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Many all over the audience. Main floor balcony. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. We embrace this morning your omni-attributes. They are not attributes that we should think of as you just rejecting us and holding it over us. Instead, you don't hold it over us, you hold us up. You still want to lead us and guide us if we are broken and repentant. We come home humbly. You still love us and want to use us. I pray for every single person who raised their hand. I don't know them, but you do. You know them better than they know themselves. And although it may be hard for those who raise their hands to actually believe that could be possibly true, oh, it is true because it's who you are. Father, I pray that they might search you and know you, come home to you, give their lives completely to you, afresh and anew, that they might again start to follow you and be your disciple. Accomplish that in their lives for your glory, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.